0: Well, let's turn to Matthew 6. This is where We're still stuck. It seems that uh, Matthew set the Sermon on the Mount in a very prime time position, to use a modern kind of term. It, it seems that uh, he has an intention uh, to, to establish what the nature of the kingdom of Jesus is. Uh, because the, one of the whole, one of the overarching themes of Matthew, I think, is the kingdom. Although Mark is even more involved in that, and I've always thought that the Sermon on the Mount is is the new covenant, the the description of the new covenant, hmm. uh, and because you have Jesus turning that covenant on its head, starting with the blessings uh, instead of with the stipulations. Uh, and then, moving to the stipulations, and then moving to practical living, which the old covenant addressed through law only, not through any other means, and then you have the the woes which take the place of the curses at, at, towards the end of Matthew. so it seems that Matthew has set this up this way uh, and and maybe our question is uh, the the kingdom of Jesus, how does uh, when we think of kingdom, we think of authority, and we think of administration, and we think of power. Uh, we think of pol- political maneuverings. Jesus doesn't seem to have any of those kinds of issues when he talks about the kingdom. Uh, so we can kind of keep that in the background of our minds as we continue through this. Uh, we got as far as verse 6 so uh, of Matthew 6. So Matthew 6, verse 6. And Christina, would you pray? Pray. I said pray because this is the prayer. Uh, would you start with verse 7 and um, go through verse 15? And if there's a, if there's a, the rest of it, I, I, my version has left out the for yours is the kingdom. And, and there's a reason for that. I don't know if your version has it in. Um, after verse 15? After verse 15. It starts with, and whenever you fast. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yours leaves it out too. Anybody here have the King James Version?
1: I can switch it to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so can I, actually, if we need to. Well, I thought this
2: King James, but you're saying verse 16 it talks about the kingdom? Or which uh, verse?
0: Uh, well, the traditional Lord's Prayer read, ends with, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You have the King James Version. doesn't end that way.
2: Yeah, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
0: Amen. Yeah, it's part of verse, actually part of verse uh,
2: 13. 13, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But my version leaves that out. So go ahead and read it, Christine, and we'll discuss that. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So why is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever loved out? It's because there's uh, older manuscripts that leave it out. The oldest manuscripts we have of Matthew uh, leave that part out. And so it's thought to be a later addition to Matthew.
2: Is some of the changes, and I don't know if you discussed this in the class previously, but because of the changes in Rome and more towards the earthly government kind of concepts? You
0: know,
2: not not entirely.
0: Yeah, whatever. not entirely because uh, the church uh, becoming a power of its own doesn't happen until the 4th <laughs> and 5th centuries. And I think the earliest... <laughs> manuscripts of Matthew that have this may be earlier than that I may be wrong that is something to think about because the church made a dramatic turn when Constantine became emperor and adopted Christianity Uh, there's no doubt about that and but I think the church was leaning that way anyway I think gradually the way the the world ran things and the way they thought of things became uh, the way the church uh, began to think of things. But it is interesting that Jesus leaves it kind of open-ended if we assume that this is an later edition and it doesn't end in the what we call a doxology, uh, a doxology being a, a word of praise. if we understand that, then Jesus leaves this prayer open-ended. He doesn't finish it. If we we have the ending, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. You have an ending. You have ended the prayer, especially when you have amen. Uh, Because amen, it comes uh, from a long, long Israelite Jewish tradition. Uh, It it really means uh, truly, uh, verily. Some interpret it, so be it. And I was just at a Jewish synagogue last night with uh, my Hebrew class. And uh, the various songs that they sang and, and prayers that they prayed had Amen at the end. So Jesus leaves this open. Why do you think that?
2: Well, the next verses talk about uh, forgiving man and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why Jesus left it open.
0: He wanted to talk about forgiveness. Is it possible he intended this to be the start of a prayer that a person would then feel free to continue adding on their own concerns, their own needs? Mm
2: -hmm. So how does your version end?
0: It ends with, uh, and don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then it it says, if you forgive others their sins. It's completely left out and it doesn't even have a footnote indicating it. So it's a very a very certain reading that Jesus originally had the prayer that way. There's something else about this prayer that's very significant to me. He says, Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name is what my version has. And hallowed be your name. Bring your kingdom. Give us this the bread forgive us for the ways we have wronged you don't lead us into temptation rescue us from the evil one what are those verbs? commands commands they're imperatives in the Greek which means Jesus teaches us to pray by commanding God what do you make of that?
2: Well, if he is designed the way things should be, that they should be designed on love, then the command isn't like we use it in sort of the worldly sense, but we're saying what we expect should be there. Because that's the way it's designed. And recognizing that, that it's there.
0: So we can go to God in confidence that he hears us and actually use imperatives. Say, give me this, do this, uh, be here for me, things like that, and not be out of line. Uh, we, we tend to have a more Babylonian view of worship sometimes. Hmm. Uh, that we've got to be respectful because God is a superior being. And therefore, we have to kind of pussyfoot and, and appease and, 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 and um, kind of massage his uh, ego and, and that sort of thing like you would a political figure. And Jesus teaches us to throw that all aside. And just approach God as a child would a parent. Because children don't don't have those posturings. They are just candidly who they are. And in fact, there's nothing so refreshing as to meet a child who's, who, will, who will tell you the way it is. <laughs> because children will do that. Uh, they have to be taught all the niceties. And all the, the ways we attempt to make other people feel like we're noticing them. That we're... Paying proper attention to them and so on. A child tends to go to a parent and say, "I want such and such. Give it to me." Uh, so this is where Jesus starts: uh, is tell God exactly what you want. Be upfront, and and you know Jesus is that way. He never minces words. He never he never um, gets long-winded. He's always right to the point. And he says as as few words as possible to make his point clear. And every word is pregnant with meaning. So this is a a wonderful sample prayer uh, to pray. But at the same time, that, that all aside, notice where the prayer begins. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name, or hallowed be your name so we start with God prayer starts with God with who he is with what we want from him oh, by the way what does it mean to hallow his name
2: said recognizing who he is
0: yeah name in the Bible represents character so to hallow God's character is to hold it in such high esteem that we elevate it to a sanctity, to a sacredness that in everyday life we don't have. A very major theme of the Old Testament is the sacred versus the profane. And profane, the word profane does not mean blasphemous or or, uh, totally disrespectful or something like that. The word profane has to do with common, the ordinary. And so they, uh, the Old Testament writers understood that there were two spheres, the profane everyday life of Israel and then the sacred. Uh, and they, the, the important thing was not to mix those two, uh, not to bring the, the profane everydayness into the sacred sphere. And yet when Jesus has us pray and when he teaches the people, he brings the heavenly down into the profane. And, he, and by doing that, he cleanses the profane and elevates it into the sacred. So uh, he doesn't completely keep them separate.
2: But Jesus is also showing that he's human. Yeah.
0: It's not,
2: but but he, it's not he
0: magic. no, it's not magic. But but at the same time, he's he's not keeping those two spheres completely separate. He's he's kind of bringing one into the other to elevate it and, uh, and to. Make it holy.
2: Let me ask a question because um, it's funny how things don't click right. But in my mind, I always thought, and you have the images of Christ praying and so forth, you know, in the garden that is this Matthew's saying this way God prayed, or is this he's copying down the Lord's Prayer?
0: Well Jesus this is a this, this preface by them I, I think in another gospel it's prefaced by the disciples asking us Lord teach us to pray I think Luke has it that way and so Jesus says pray like this and so he's giving the disciples a sample
2: prayer okay
0: he's not saying pray these words I think we've made an awful lot of the lord's prayer in terms of rotely saying it every and Time that's the kind around. of
2: magic thinking that Christians yeah. have. Yeah. But if you get the words in the right order somewhere, the magic is there. The and world.
0: and you I, I remember as a right combination. I remember as an eight-year-old. No, as a five-year-old, I had finally gotten the Lord's Prayer down. Because we when my family we always ended with the Lord's Prayer. My parents stopped that years later as they got to know God better. <laughs> but um uh, we always ended with the lord 's prayer, and i I would fumble through it as a kid, you know not being able to remember exactly what came next and i 'd kind of follow my parents and I remember when I finally had that prayer down and and I had just barely gotten it when my dad 's best friend across the road uh, from us passed away from a heart attack in the morning about two o 'clock in the morning, and mm-hmm. um, my dad was just heartbroken because they had played piano duets together and organ and piano duets together and and just uh, really were fond of each other And now and, uh, he was gone And so uh, I woke up to the fact that My dad was crying And my dad never cried So that was earth shaking in itself And then that, of course I asked my mother why And she told me that Uncle Wally had died mm-hmm. Well It came time for worship And we had the, the closing prayer Of the Lord's Prayer And my dad came to Your will be done on earth, and he broke down. Hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, my my pride was kind of shattered at that moment. I had been pretty proud that I had that prayer down, but uh, it totally changed the way I looked at it, hmm. I think, uh, from that time on. So, no, it's not a rote prayer. I love to pray this prayer in my own words, paraphrasing it. I find it very healing and elevating, because it encompasses everything. And I can add more in between uh, in the words. So what about this? If you forgive others their sin, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. What do you do with that? Is God... Uh, do we have to earn forgiveness somehow by forgiving others?
2: No, it's representative <laughs> because we're here as servants... Christ was our example of the servants, so we're to serve
0: others. Okay. And serving others includes forgiving them. Forgiving them, right. Which is hard.
2: People cut in front of you. <laughs> I mean, what's your job?
0: I sometimes have thought that I have a sign on my car or something, or a sign on me. I'm a woman cut in front of me.
2: Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of what's going on at the hospital. I've been there 16 years. I have a, the only federal position in this one unit where I work, and it's very sought after.
0: So oh. Every
2: period of like
0: so everybody's to trying to bump you off yeah, so they, they really can get, to get it. to attack me, see? So
2: that's going through another cycle of that. About the time I already
0: retire anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> Not a nice note to end on. <laughs> but, um, Is there another way we could express it? If I don't forgive someone, what they've done to me.
2: Well, in my work, if people aren't forgiving, they, they have a hard time forgiving themselves. Right. In, in dealing with themselves. Yeah.
0: If I forgive others, I, I am accepting. It, it shows that I have accepted God's forgiveness. If I don't, if I harbor an unforgiving spirit, it means that I am not recognizing my own need of forgiveness, and I'm not accepting God's forgiveness into my life. Because if I really accept God's forgiveness into my life, I will forgive others their sins. And it's the same principle as if I accept the love of God in my in my life. I really accept that, then I will love my enemies. Uh, and and so to me, that's if if I can't forgive. It's not that I need to try harder to forgive. That's where we put to put the emphasis. We put all the pressure on, now you've got to forgive them. You've got to work through this and forgive them. No, I need God's forgiveness in my life. I need God's love in my life. And that will enable me to forgive. My un- un- unwillingness to forgive is a symptom of a deficit of God's forgiving love in my life. And so that's where I've got to go to get that. Need filled, and the other will take care of itself. Uh, so I think this is an objective statement, rather than it's, it's stated very subjectively. It's like God is not willing to forgive you unless you forgive someone else. Jesus tells a parable about that, doesn't he? Uh, about the the owner who was in debt a huge amount. He went to the king. The king forgave him his debt. He was indebted to the king, and the king forgave him his debt. He went out and found a fellow worker who was indebted to him, owed him only a few dollars, and said, you pay up now. And uh, the debtor said, please have mercy on me and I will I will pay you everything. No, I want, I want it now. And if you can't give it now, into jail. And he throws him into jail. And uh, the king hears about it. Calls him man and says, "You unfaithful servant! <laughs> what well, right did you have to treat your fellow man that way? Uh, when he only owed you a few dollars, and I gave you, forgave you all this amount, you don't even have to pay me." That I think that is um, is what Jesus is talking about here is the rejection, the 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 crassness of this man to have this huge debt paid off by the by the debt, by the person he owed. And then to treat someone else for a few dollars that way. Uh, I think that's what Jesus is, is talking about here. But again, the core problem is a deficit. Okay, uh, Ed, would you please read verses 16 to 18?
2: To 18? Yeah. Or through?
0: Through 18, okay. sorry.
2: But if you... But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites, who a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's another time, the reason we read, where they have their reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thou, when thou fastest anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men too fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly.
0: I I had the privilege this week of working with a student on Isaiah 58. Uh, He's doing his exegesis paper on it. And he, he wanted some help, extra help, with trying to find the literary mechanisms like puns and similes and things like that going on, alliterations. So we we worked through the Hebrew together. Almost got through the chapter, and it really struck me. As I, of course I had to slow down a little bit in doing the Hebrew. It really struck me that Isaiah is coming down really hard on this kind of rote religion that's gloom and doom, and and, and you go around like victims. You know, poor me. Look at how, how abased I am. Look at how, how much I suffer and, and all of that. And, and showing it off. I think isn't that what Jesus is, is really talking about here? If you're going to fast, don't show that you're fasting. don't Don't let anyone know it. It's between you and God. So stop being such a victim. It's really a form of that, isn't it? If I want to, if I want to gather sympathy for myself, if I want, if I want, um, other people to feel sorry for me. I I feel like there's an underlying thing going on there with this fasting. But it's also that they do it to show off their righteousness. And that's even more offensive to God. Look how holy I am. I'm, I'm self-flagellating. You know, I'm, I'm abasing myself. And, and their hearts are far from the repentance that all that's supposed to indicate. I think what this does, I, I, I wish when I had taught overseas that I had read this verse to the hierarchy of the church. Where you worked there? I worked in Hong Kong, oh, in Hong Kong. for three years. Mm-hmm. I taught at the college there. Mm. And uh, the conference decided that we should have a fast once Sabbath. And it was mandated that everybody fast. Well, Hong Kong Adventist College was comprised of about 90% non-Adventist students. And of those 90%, another 90% were non-Christian. What? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and... Uh, So here, and and we had a middle school as well as a college. The the figures I give you are for the college. The middle school, I think, even had a higher percentage of non-Jabinist, (laughs) non-Christians. And here we were imposing this fast, all-day fast, on all of these students. (laughs) None of them had a clue why we were fasting. I don't know. Anybody familiar with Buddhism? Do, do they fast in Buddhism? Uh,
1: I yes and no.
0: Yes and no. Mostly the monks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we imposed the fast on everybody. This was not voluntary. This was, you had to fast. I was so tempted to get a whole bunch of food ahead of time. Get a feast going and invite mm-hmm. <laughs> four kids, some of whom are 11 years old, over to my house. <laughs> I knew I'd be in big trouble if I did, uh, and I was appalled.
2: Was that? This curiosity was a school in Kellon side, or mm-hmm. not proper
0: Kowloon. But the whole the whole conference was doing this. That's so the, all the hospital. I don't know what they did for the patients in the hospital. I, I hope, I hope they fed them. Send them all home or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that? See, if, if we really adhered Jesus, to Jesus' words, we would never do a thing like that. Because he's obviously talking about voluntary fasting. And number two, you're not supposed to do it for show. Nobody's supposed to know it. If that's the case, it has to be voluntary. can't be imposed. Okay, Uh, Edan. Oh. Edan. Would you please read 19 to 21?
1: Yeah. Uh, Do not store up for yourselves treasures of earth, where moth and uh, vermin...
0: Rust. Oh, vermin. Go ahead.
1: Just destroy and uh, where thieves breaking and steal but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not breaking and steal for where your tre- treasure is there your heart will be also 221 okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah so what, what about this as we move into this chapter, farther and farther, there seems to be an economic base going on. This is about economics, um, and and Jesus suggests that.
2: Uh, Was it like Richard? Real Earth's where your where your thoughts are, your yeah. your heart and your mind. Yeah. It's not the of themselves, or the mozzarellas, or yeah, whatever.
0: Uh, you know. I heard an interesting homily last night in the synagogue. The rabbi who was speaking noted that there was one thing that we never are willing to talk about. There's, there's a lot of other things we're willing to talk about, but there's one thing we don't talk about. And he was saying, you know, I can, I can go up to you if you've had cancer, and I can say, you know, so how is the treatment? How is it going? And How are you, how are you doing? And how are you handling it? And I can talk about your cancer and that's fine with you. But I can't go up to you and say, how much did that such and such cost?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he said, it's money. We, we, I can't talk about money. And and he, he really, uh, he didn't say what Jesus said, but he was, I think, alluding to, not deliberately alluding, but alluding to the concept that uh, really what's important is not... The material things of the service. What's important is, is uh, other people, maybe. I think it's where he was headed. So, I, I, can you argue with Jesus here? Is this not true? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, we hoard so much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my my problem with, oh, with hoarding stuff is not that Ma's eat them. Moths only eat my older clothes that probably are ready to be uh, discarded anyway. But my problem is that if I have it long enough I forget I have it and I never use it. (laughs) It gets buried somewhere in my stuff. But I think that verse 21 is really a natural spiritual law. It's a descriptive law. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That, that is just an axiom you can't break. Uh, it's inviolable. Okay, Jonathan. Hmm. You want to read uh, 22 through 24, please?
2: The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money.
0: Yeah. He says that. you
2: cannot serve
0: God and man. Mammon, yes, mammon is an old English word for money, for uh, wealth or money. Mm. You're, you're, I think it means uh, what you accrue. Mm. What does Jesus mean by if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how terrible the darkness will be.
2: Your eye is what you take in.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. If what you take in... Do we do that? How do we do that? Let's let's see if we can break this down to concrete terms. Instead of using metaphors.
2: When we do all kinds of things with eyes. whatever our focus is, we take it in, we... Evaluate people, evaluate things. <laughs> it's very through our eyes, yeah. we don't shut our eyes. Say, "No, I don't know if I like him or not." No, we open our eyes.
0: Yeah, yeah. If it, I, I think of that in terms of how we prevaricate prevaricate a person mm. uh, by judging them falsely, and and that it begins to become a Point in which if we do that long enough and, and often enough we start holding everybody and start contempt, having some kind of contempt for everybody and everybody becomes we become critical of everybody and and, and so everything we take in is dark it's dark uh, and, and we darken everything by how we take it, how we view it and how we perceive it and if we become if we become totally that way pre- Preoccupied with the evil we see around us, uh, our whole, her whole lives become dark. Uh, I have seen this happen in this community, with, and I won't mention a specific group of people, but uh, they're they're like the the last word on what other people are doing and, and whether they're doing it right or not. And, And and, and particularly, some of them have an obsession with uh, watching the infiltration of Jesuits in the church and and, uh, things like that. And and I think I think it's a tragedy that they spend so much of their time and energy on this. It's darkness. It isn't the light. It isn't focusing on Jesus. It's darkness. Jesus seems to put in this, with this, um, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You will be loyal to the one and you have a contempt for the other. And, and you know, that fits perfectly with this eye becoming dark and all of that. But then you cannot serve God in wealth or money. What's that about? It means you can only have one. You can't have money. or You can have God. <laughs> There's a rabbi, uh, I can't think of his name, who uh, has a, a really fabulous speech. I've shared it sometimes in my ethics class on, on the, pro- the problem in our society of self interest and in economics. He points out that no country, no society can survive long financially and economically if they are full of self-interest. If, if the reason, if, if everything they do is about self-interest. You have to let in the other, you have to focus on the other, or you, the society uh, crumbles into economic disaster. So, if that's the case, is Jesus suggesting, maybe, that and the reason he strikes at money is because... Economics is where it all began in, in, the, in antiquity. Uh, when we began to hoard wealth, instead of living off the land and living as a community, as a whole community, uh, interdependent on one another, uh, mutually working to serve uh, one another and, and to survive, when we became interested in hoarding, and getting more than other people, competitive competition, and, and trade, and, and so on. And war began out of, you know, war is a byproduct of, of the economic model, of, of ancient peoples trying to get what they want from other people, and they take it by force instead of by, by honest trade or, or what have you. And so I, I'm hearing Paul in the background saying, money is the root of all kinds of evil. I, I see that. The love, uh, the love of money, uh, anciently, historically, works out that way. That every other problem. And, and let's bring it down to our own world. When an institution or a corporation decides that money is more important than people, things start falling apart. Uh, We were discussing this last night as my group of students and I in our van that now the immigration laws have cracked down and and law enforcement is keeping immigrants out. We are having to get most of our food from Mexico. We no longer get it from the United States. Why? Because they aren't the workers that that we used to have. So uh, people are having to put in 12-hour days and, of course they make a pittance well the farmers make millions well maybe not millions but hundreds of thousands of dollars there they do get they get for a pound in Florida uh, immigrant workers get a cent per pound of tomatoes. It's an outrageously low figure so so our economic stability really rests upon not being so self-serving that we cut our own throats. And and then you think about it in terms of, say, an Adventist institution. When the bottom line becomes money and, and balancing the budget and on all of that, uh, ethics becomes a real problem. Almost inevitably. Uh, we start uh, ignoring moral underpinnings of how we treat people and we start doing things that we would not do if we were to really think through a moral base rather than an economic base so I I really think Jesus' words are are hitting those areas very strongly maybe it's fortunate I can't think of an exact illustration of this I'll spare spare, uh, institutions of of that but
2: so well the whole concept um, of of uh, putting comparative value on something. You think of uh, Cain and Abel. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my stuff is just as good as your stuff. You know, I don't have to use your kind of stuff, you know.
0: hmm
2: hmm just, and everything relates to power and control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. every facet of life. Mm-hmm. And we give up a lot of our loving concepts when we like value the pastors. I remember uh, there were people saying, Oh, I wish in my life I hadn't valued the pastors so much instead of studying the Bible more or following more what made more sense instead of giving the conferences or that. Hmm. But we do that as we realize someone else to make decisions. Yeah. But everything seems to be more and more based on power and control. Yeah. And that was part of Satan's thing anyway. Right. So it just plays out when I think about every area you think of.
0: Yeah. And Jesus doesn't say no one, you, you must not serve two masters. You know, only one. He's simply saying you can't. You're either going to be dominated by uh, the powers of of the the, the three great powers of the ancient world of uh, economics, uh, kingship, and law, or you're going to be dominated by the power of God, which is creative power, empowerment, uh, serving others, uh, empowering them to do the best, noblest, and, and most loving acts. Okay, and, and Jesus hits this hard Which must have made everybody wince And cringe Because he's talking to a society Let me talk to you about Jesus' society He's talking to a society Where the wealth is held By a few elite people And you can't or Work your way up the ladder You can't, you can't change your, Where you are You're stuck So if your father was a peasant You're going to be a peasant uh, if your father was a broker, you're going to be a broker. And you can't go higher, and you can go lower. And so, so every uh, the society was so hierarchically structured, it was, it was so tiered that the, the bottom person at the ladder, which would be the peasant, uh, say he was a fisherman. He went out and he caught the fish. Uh, but he had someone above him who was one really making the profit. And, and that person had to have a broker, and the broker made an even greater profit. And, and the broker had uh, someone above him. And so you had this, this giant, hierarchical, power-based, structural thing that trapped everybody where they were. And and everybody served men, the poor did, because they were trying desperately hard to eke out all the existence. Uh, the middleman did because he wanted more than he got. And so on, up the ladder, everybody served mammon. And so Jesus knocks the props out from under them and says, you can't serve God and do that. You've got to stop this altogether. And, and he doesn't leave them there or they'd be in a state of, what do we do now? And so he goes on. I will go ahead and read verses 25. Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. Yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? I think some some variants of this manuscript have... Add a single cubit to your height, which always is, I find it a little amusing. I never spent much time worrying about being short, but I knew and I never believed it would do any good anyway. <laughs> and why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat, what are we going to drink, or what are we going to wear? The Gentiles long for all these things. You notice how kind he is. He doesn't say, You all long for all these things even though they did. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What if we live that way? What would change?
2: I would think some people would read that and say, well, I don't need to work or I don't have to go to work anymore or get (laughs) Social Security paid or, you know, and just kind of lay around. Yeah,
0: yeah. We have people in our society like that.
2: Between, just let me quickly, up to 2005, we spent $3 trillion on all human-related services in this country, welfare and so forth. From two thousand five to now we've spent a total of seventeen trillion dollars. <laughs> so from three to seventeen, and it's still not healthy. Yeah. So there's lots of people take this first, maybe we will just kind of <clears throat> entitlements.
0: God, God's gonna supply my yeah. needs, yeah.
2: But that's not it's speaking about it. No. It's really speaking to rely on God.
0: Yeah. Seek 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 first the kingdom of God. That's number one. And when you put the, Jesus isn't saying don't earn money and don't have wealth. He's saying your priorities have to be straight. You have to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and not worry about how you're going to pay make ends meet to pay the bills. As long as you're doing your best, and and most importantly seeking to glorify God, let Him take care of that stuff. I grew up in a home that was, I would say. Fairly poor. As a child, my parents my parents taught, in, uh, or my dad taught in Adventist Academy. And teachers were not paid an adequate salary back then. Uh, things are better now. But back then, they were paid almost minimum wage. And I remember my parents avoiding the dentist in town because they owed him money. If they saw him coming, walking down the street, they would dart into a building or something to avoid him because they were so embarrassed that they owed him. And I know they paid their debts, but it took them a while. Uh, and uh, we couldn't afford veterinarian care for cats, so our cats met tragic ends. And, and the life was hard. I mean, I, I would ask for things but not get them. Uh, my parents just couldn't. There was no money. And as a result, my brother and I are not dominated by money. We struggle. We have our struggles with it. Uh, my brother, I think, uh, could be much better off than he is if he weren't so compassionate. Mm. He's a very compassionate person. And, and he told my folks late, recently, you know, I don't need that much. He doesn't own his own house. That's a long story. Uh, he owns his car, and that's about it. And he, he said, you know, to me, life is more important than that. Uh, so I, I have this, I feel like it's a legacy. A, a legacy because uh, we, we watched our parents deal with this, and yet my dad, my dad always gave liberally to the church, as liberally as he could. Because he always he lived on Malachi's return. He really believed that God would pour him out a blessing that there was not room enough to receive. And of course, it wasn't material blessing; it was a blessing in other ways. So uh, I find this freeing. I find this passage really giving me the gate to freedom of not having to be tyrannized by anything anything that we tend to tyrannize one another with or ourselves with, not having to be tyrannized by it. That all we have to do is live and let God uh, live live for him and let him deal with all the things that we need. And you, you talk to people who say have lost everything. Say their house has burned to the ground. Talk to them. What do you, you know, how do you manage this loss? And they say, well, you know, the thing... That, all the things that can be replaced But, but our momentums, the, the pictures we have of family and, and all of those things that we can't replace It has to do with our value And that's what I concluded when, I, when it dawned on me Many years ago That we went astray on economics That's where we, we got our foot on the wrong uh, lane And it dawned on me That we changed our whole value system Instead of people becoming valuable, we started dominating one another. We started viewing people as commodities to be used and manipulated and to uh, serve us instead of to serve them. We got to the end of the chapter, chapter (laughs) 7.
1: I have a question. Yes. I talked this with. Uh, well, he's not a Christian or anything, but he studied. He studied like all different kinds of religion. He's a broker himself, mm-hmm. kind of wealthy. Yeah. Uh, so he <coughs> was saying um, you can make money and then spend money in good way. Like how. Do you think that would
0: be a... I don't think Jesus is ever saying you can't have wealth. I think what he's saying is but don't let it dominate you. Don't let it let it become your obsession. Don't let it um, become your master. No one can serve two masters, you see. So if, if, if money is your master and you serve it and, and you live for it instead of for God, you can't do that. You can't live for both. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think God endows some people with, with material means so that they can uh, bless others with it.
1: Because that mean? That
0: means they're more obligated to do that than someone who doesn't have as much. Say the mission
1: trip, the homeless ministry. Yeah, yeah. Everything costs. Like, the money has to come from some kind of source.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. No, I don't hear Jesus saying you can't be, everybody be poor. Um, he's saying don't let it dominate you, don't let it worry you, don't, don't carry it around like a burden. Uh, it, it, I, that's why I say this is freeing. If we live by it, we have no worries. That doesn't mean we are poor, necessarily. I, I used that uh, uh, my own personal illustration not to say everybody should be poor but to say that it was a legacy to me to learn to value people more than things. That's, that was pretty much where I think I was headed with that. So thank you for your question.
1: <laughs> no, I just always you. had this type of question because, mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up, my family is, like, okay, Mm -hmm. or maybe if I'm okay, Mm -hmm. so... Upper middle class. Yeah. So I've always struggled, like, because I'm a business major, and uh, doing business
0: means... You're working with money, money, aren't you?
1: Yeah, Yeah, and I just can't find the... Right spot. How to? Where to put God? Where to put money? Like,
0: how would it be if you just tell God to take all that, take you, and and ask Him to help you seek His glory, and help to try to focus on Him, and try to as you as you do your business. How can I bless others with this? That's that's the way we glorify God is. How can I bless others through this? How how you know? Am I seeking my own? Just my own interest, and self-interest, or am I seeking to bless the world?
2: Because you'd be poor and be self-interested. You mm-hmm. might get a lot of drama up I'm so poor.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and sure. So exactly.
2: It's not the what you have or don't have. It's your frame of reference. Exactly.
0: It's your priorities. That's the whole point.
2: Mm-hmm. There's just a danger if you have too much material things that you get distracted
0: want to hang on to it Uh, I had had family members uh, like this who they wept grandly when my grandmother died not because they were sad to lose her but because they were angry at each other because somebody was getting more of Mm. grandma than they were (laughs) it was ridiculous (laughs) it didn't make me love mammon anymore to see that go on (laughs) Looks <laughs> like. So, and, and there's another aspect, and this is my downfall. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I would rather not have to deal with money at all. I, I prefer life. I, I hate. I, I'm, I'm the opposite of you. I hate doing accounting. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. <laughs> um, so I, I would. Gladly, just have a very simple life and not have to spend much and not have, have to deal with it. And, and so, consequently, I don't seek it. And that's probably part of the reason I'm poor. I, I don't, I don't uh, turn a dime. I don't, I don't find a way to to really get ahead dramatically. So that's probably my weakness in not using that particular talent, measly though it is. I don't think I'm gifted in that. <laughs> uh and so that, that that's probably a need I have. But I would hope I would do that to God's glory, not not to to just focus on myself. But I again the thing I want to leave you with is the idea that what we serve either frees us if it's God, either sets us free to to live outside of ourselves, to live for others, to live for him, and not have any worries because we trust him for everything. Or it makes us tense and worried and harassed and and beleaguered and dominated and, and enslaved. That's what Jesus really, I think, is pointing to. You can't serve the tyrants of the world and you can't serve a God of freedom. Who supplies all your needs? Because remember, in the beginning, and, and this is where I this is where I realized with the economic model where it began. In the beginning, we didn't earn anything; everything was free. And and that's that's what we have to look forward to is that beginning again uh, when Jesus comes. And if we lose sight of that, we're not ready for it. It's, it's that basic. So in our at our father's house we can relax and we can be ourselves and we don't have to we don't have to get ourselves tied in knots over things. All right, let's have prayer. God, we thank you that you are a bountiful God, a God who is generous lavish, think of various uh, parables that we yet have to encounter, the prodigal son who wasted all your money uh, and you gave him more, you gave him everything you had left. I ask that we might seek your generosity, seek your uh, bountiful goodness and your generosity, and that we might become like you, and we might be set free from the tyrants and the slave masters of this world. Bless us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus'
1: name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus name. Amen.